We're going to look at verses 13 through 15 again, and specifically this morning, consider the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. In fact, he says to the saints at Ephesus, those who believe, those who have trusted by faith in Christ, those who are in Christ in Ephesus, and remember the importance of that statement that he finds these ones whom he's writing to in Christ. They have been redeemed by him, been purchased by him, saved by him, and now they are in him, covered with the precious blood of Jesus, welcome and adopted into his family, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. And if that's the case, Paul mentions the very words of Christ or think, considers the very words of Christ when Jesus was teaching to his disciples, he says that the devil is coming to destroy and even to take down some of my children, he says, some of the elect. So the Apostle Paul says, while we are in Christ, we have been redeemed in him, saved in him, brought from death to life in him. We know that there is an enemy, and that enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is the prince and power of the air, the one who is in charge of the cosmic forces of this world, Satan himself, the schemes of the devil are going to come against you because you are in Christ. Just as he tried to take down Christ, he's going to try to take down you. But notice, Paul says, the devil lost to Jesus, that Jesus has conquered and won. So therefore, you have everything you need to defeat his schemes. You have it all. So be strong in the Lord, he says, and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God. And that's where we pick it up here in verse 13 with the apostle Paul. Therefore, Paul writes, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, your truth for us this morning. God, it is good for us to be in your house. It is good for us to sing of your victory that you have won through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we prepare ourselves for the battle we face every day, help us to remember that we don't fight against flesh and blood, Father, that we fight against the schemes of the devil himself who is looking to destroy and take down anyone he can. But, Father, we do not fight empty-handed. We fight with the righteousness, the faith, the sword of the Spirit that has been given to us with the truth, Father, by Jesus Christ. So, God, we come this morning, I come this morning asking, God, that you would help us to see the necessity of taking up these things and standing firm in face of whatever may come our way. God, help us as we look together now at this breastplate of righteousness that you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's no secret, one of my favorite uh, musicians really is two fellas, two guys. One's named Shane Everett, the other one's Shane Bernard. So they go by Shane and Shane. It makes it pretty easy. Usually they sing scripture, but sometimes they have a song and one song uh, that's a little bit different and one song that 
really has always gotten to me is a song called Embracing Accusations. Embracing Accusations. The premise of the song is that Satan is always making accusations against us. And Satan making those accusations is the father of lies. And so we must remember the father of lies is looking to destroy us. He's looking as he makes accusations, he's looking to destroy us. All our hopes of being good enough, he's, all of our hopes of being worthy enough, he's looking to destroy us with his lies. But in some sense, some of his lies are true. In other words, he tells us that curse are the ones who can't abide. And that's right. That's true. The ones who can't or don't abide in Christ are cursed. He tells us as he sings to us that we aren't good enough, that we aren't worthy enough. He tells us all of those things. But then he says, as he tries to get us to, to lose hope and strength, the song tells us that the devil's singing over me an age-old song, that I'm cursed and gone astray. And that's true. Because of our sin, we face the curse of sin and death, and we have gone astray from the one true and living God. But as they sing this song, they say, the devil's singing over me an age-old song that I'm cursed and gone astray. Singing the first verse so conveniently over me, he's forgotten the chorus. Jesus saves. And this morning, we want to consider this. For the great accuser of the brethren is accusing us every single day, telling us that we are going astray, that we are cursed because of our sin, telling us those things. And what we must do this morning, I truly believe, is embrace those accusations and realize in light of them, Jesus saves. He wants you to sing the verse first and forget about the chorus. And so this morning, we want to recognize that chorus as we look to the breastplate of righteousness that Paul is talking about. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate in the armor does exactly what its name states. It's one piece of armor that goes over the breast or the, the uh, covering from the neck all the way down to the waist of the soldier. A piece of, a piece of armor that covers from, from the neck down to the waist and it's covering in this obviously is covering the soldier of one of its greatest weaknesses or greatest places uh, to cover. This piece protects all of the vital organs in the human body. It protects the heart. It protects all of the organs that are within the very chest and of which if this these organs are punctured during battle, battle, whether it's by arrow or spear or sword, it would be deadly to the soldier, especially the heart. The breastplate of righteousness covers the heart. And for the Christian, this hopefully becomes obvious for us as a necessity. The heart in Scripture, not just in battle, we recognize the heart, the heart in Scripture is even more than just an organ that feeds blood throughout the body and pumps, pumps blood throughout the body. The heart in Scripture is more than that even. In God's Word, whenever the heart is discussed, it's God's heart that defines who we are and displays what our greatest treasures are. We hide the Word of God in our heart. We hide the treasures of God in our heart. It's the heart that's not just an organ in the body pumping blood, but in the Word of God, the heart is where our greatest treasures are stored up, where our greatest hopes are found. 
Jesus even says, and we'll come back to this in a minute, he even says that it's out of the heart that comes our greatest desires, our greatest treasures, our greatest desires come from the heart. The most tightly held beliefs are deep within our heart, according to the word of God. What we believe deep down within us is in our heart. Our greatest treasures, our greatest desires, our greatest beliefs. We use the heart this way as well whenever we're discussing and whatever colloquialism we may use. But, but deep down in our heart, we talk about how much what we love and what we treasure and what we hold fast and what we believe and what we stand upon deep in our own heart. This is the way the scripture uses it. And if for the soldier, the breastplate was protect the heart, which pumps blood throughout the body, and if it is wounded or, or punctured, if you will, then you will die, so it is for the believer that the heart becomes most precious for us as well. So as we put this breastplate on, we see the importance of it. But there's a few problems that we must also understand. In and of ourselves, on our, on our own, our heart is sinful. One of the great lies of the devil is to get you to believe that your heart is a good guide for your life. Maybe I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning all the time because this is constantly bombarding us over and over again with words like follow your heart or do what your heart desires or those type of things. One of the great things the devil wants you to do is just that. Recognize that your heart may be a good guide for your life. And when we talk about our hearts, we talk about we want to do what our heart desires. We want to do what our heart longs for. This is the way the, the language the world uses. And so this, as that, is such a lie that we are to come to it and we must battle against it. Because the teaching of Scripture is quite different than what the world believes. The teaching of Scripture in Jeremiah tells us that the heart is not a good guide at all. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all other things. It is black and it is dark. Jesus picks up on this in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, when he begins to talk about what defiles a man. What is it that defiles us? In Mark 7, verse 20, Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus saying our heart, deceitful above all other things, is a producer, a factory of sin itself. And so our heart, therefore, is not a good, good God. In fact, when we look at Scripture, the heart becomes ground zero of the Christian life, if you will. Here, even in this room this morning, there are only two kinds of hearts represented. There are only two kind of hearts represented here. One is, as the scripture says, the heart of stone, which is hardened and dark and sinful, unrighteous, if you will, or the heart of flesh, which is new and been made pure and been made right by the Lord God and been made righteous. As the scripture says over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet gives a promise about this. Ezekiel giving this promise of God to his people. God tells his people through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. 
Your heart is dark. It is a heart of stone. I will give you a new heart, he says, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, the Lord says. In other words, we must have a heart transplant if we're going to know the one true and living God. The heart we are born with is sinful. The heart we are born with is not a good guide for us. It's not one that can show the right direction in our life. In fact, the heart we are born with is cursed and gone astray, even the scripture says. Wicked above all other things, what we need is a new heart. And how does he do this then? How does he do these things? How does our unrighteous heart become righteous? How does our dark heart become open to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what does it mean then to put on the breastplate of righteousness? In order to understand this this morning, we must understand a term, a doctrinal term, if you will. So hold on, fasten your seatbelts. It's okay, it won't be harsh. The doctrinal term is a term imputation. Imputation is important for us as the believer. It's a very important biblical term to understand what's happened in our life as we have given our life to Jesus Christ. Imputation is a banking term, if you will. It just simply means to put on another's account, to impute something to another's charge or another's account. And so the scripture speaks of three imputations that we must understand. First, we see the scripture teaches us that Adam, when he originally sinned as the father of all mankind, Adam's sin is imputed to all of his children. It's been placed on their account. As the first man, everyone is found in Adam, and everyone then inherits the sinful nature of Adam. We are sinful because our father was sinful, and we have inherited. It has been imputed to us and put on us. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. What the scripture is teaching here is because of Adam's sin, Adam's sin has been imputed to all who are his posterity, if you will, all who are his children. And we are born in Adam with a sinful nature just as Adam had. And Paul says that not only have we inherited this sin, but in verse 15 of Romans chapter 5, he says, many have died because of his trespass, because of his sin. Adam's sinful nature has been imputed to us all, but it's not just as if we are victims of the imputation of Adam's sin. What the scripture teaches is not only has his sin been imputed to us, we have gladly acted upon it. I don't know how many of y'all had to teach your kids how to sin. You probably gave them a couple good demonstrations, but what we found out is they were pretty good little sinners on their own. Amen? Why is this? Because they have inherited the sin of Adam that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. They have inherited that, and you didn't have to teach them. It's in their nature because it came from Adam. We have demonstrated on our own our sinful nature by sinning so before we just simply say i'm a victim of imputation 
we can notice that not only have we received the nature of sin from Adam, we have acted upon it and appropriated it for ourselves. Our sin is our problem. We are unrighteous. We are unrighteous in and of ourselves. Our heart is wicked in and of ourselves. And the wages of sin is death. It's death. You may say, Josh, this is not what I was expecting this morning. Yesterday was not the best day in my life, and I didn't want to come here and hear all of this nonsense. Well, I'm going to give you some good news. While the wages of sin is death, that's not the only imputation that took place in the Scriptures. The next imputation is one of glorious beauty for us. Because not only has our, as Adam's sin been imputed to us and on our charge and we have acted in it, therefore all of us have sinned and all of us deserve death, as the scripture says, we also recognize that the Lord God Almighty sent his son, Jesus Christ. And not only was Adam's sin imputed to us and we acted upon it, our sin has been imputed to Christ Jesus. He was born not of Adam. He was not born of Adam, not in Adam's line and did not inherit Adam's sinful nature. He never sinned, Jesus, our Savior. In fact, he lived 30 years without sinning. That's even as a carpenter. He lived 30 years without sinning, the perfect man who came, fully God and fully man. And yet, even though he had never sinned and the wages of sin is death, still Jesus went to the cross to die. And why is this? Because there on the cross, our sin was imputed to him. Our sin was placed on his account and he took it upon himself. And there on the cross, he died because of our sins. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul states it clearly, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Or as Isaiah promises some hundred years before, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Not his own sin, for he had not sinned. He had not inherited sin. He had not gotten all. But he goes to the cross, and there on the cross, our sin, our sin, mine and yours, was imputed to him and put on his account. He became a sinner there on the cross. Yes, that's right. Jesus, our Savior, on the cross took our sin and on that cross he became a liar and he became a thief and he became a gossiper. He became all of those things for us and there on the cross he took exactly what our sin deserved. But because he was fully God and fully man, he bore all of that. He bore every ounce of that eternal punishment against the eternal holiness of God. He bore every part of it even to the bitter end. And then he said, it is finished. I've borne it all. I paid it all. It is done. And he gave up his spirit and gave up his life. Our sin was imputed to Christ and there Christ took it upon himself so that we may have life. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Listen to what Paul says. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No longer our sin that God sees. No longer what our past looks like that God sees. He doesn't look at Josh Powell and see Josh's record, if you will. He doesn't look and see Josh's past. When he looks upon me, he no longer sees the unrighteousness of my heart and my life. He sees the righteousness of Christ that covers me. Why is this? Because when we have trusted in Jesus Christ, there's a third imputation here. 
when we have trusted in Jesus Christ who bore our sins, then Christ imputes his righteousness to me. Jesus imputes his righteousness to those who believe and trust in him. So Adam's sin has been imputed to us and we've acted upon it. All have sinned and all deserve death. Our sin was imputed to Christ and he bore that punishment, bore that penalty. And now for those of us who believe the righteousness of Christ has been given to us. So therefore there is no unrighteousness when the Lord sees us. It's only righteousness. And when he looks upon me, he doesn't see my past. He sees Christ. When he looks upon me, he doesn't see my present. He sees Christ. And when he looks upon me, by all means, he does not see my future. He sees Christ. This is what the scripture calls the glorious exchange. The glorious exchange. My sin exchanged for Christ's righteousness. All of this is received by faith. All of this is trusting in Jesus. And that's what happens whenever we trust in him. That old unrighteous heart is removed and ripped out, Ezekiel tells us, and it's replaced with a new one. So in this room today, either you have a heart that is unrighteous before God or you have one who has been replaced and covered in the righteousness of Christ. Either one. That's the only two ways we can see this. Two ways we can see this. So here... All of this received by faith, trusting in Christ. Our righteousness that we have received is not our own. It's Jesus's. It has been charged to us. And the devil wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe that you are cursed and you are done. That apart and apart from Christ, that is absolutely true. The devil wants you to believe that you are cursed and you are done and death is hanging over you. And apart from Jesus and his righteousness, that is not a lie. That is true. But what the devil wants you to know is that there's no hope for you. And what Jesus wants you to know is your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, both day and night, Revelation 12 says. But his accusations fall flat. His accusations fall flat when they hammer against the breastplate of righteousness that has been provided for us as believers that cannot cannot be penetrated at all by the angry swords or the spears or the arrows of the devil. They cannot penetrate that breastplate of righteousness that has been won for us and provided for us in Jesus Christ. That's what covers the heart of God's people. He wants... He wants you to believe a few things. The devil wants you to believe that you're not loved. What? He wants you to believe that the Lord does not love you. Look at what we've just been talking about. When we consider the heart, we consider that place of love, right? Look at what we've just been talking about. He wants you to think that that the Lord does not love you. So he fires those angry darts at you, but your heart, your heart is covered by the righteousness of Christ. And by all means, you should know above anybody else that the love of God has been displayed for you through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He took your sin that he did not deserve. He took your death that you deserved. He took all of those things. Don't for a minute believe you're not loved. For the glorious exchange is taking place when we trust in Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. Jesus took your sin and gave you his righteousness. And now... Putting on the breastplate, putting on the breastplate for us doesn't just mean that we just stand there in the righteousness of Christ. It does. That's exactly what he says. Stand therefore, 
fastened, put on the breastplate of righteousness. But it does mean, it means that uh, by all means, but it means more than that. Not only do we rest in the righteousness of Christ by which the schemes of the devil cannot penetrate and even get to our heart, we must also act in the righteousness of Christ. We rest in it and we act in it. Satan not only wants you to believe that you're not loved, which is blown apart by the truth of the gospel and the imputation of Jesus Christ's righteousness to you. He also wants you to believe that sin does not matter. He wants you to believe that sin does not matter. Listen again to what Ezekiel says when he says that the Lord is going to rip out a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, and I, this is the Lord speaking, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Not only is the Lord going to make us righteous in Christ and give us Christ's righteousness, he expects us then to walk in Christ's righteousness, to act according to Christ's righteousness. In fact, one of the clear passages in Scripture that we as believers must never forget in 1 John chapter 3, listen to what John says when it comes to sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, speaking of Jesus, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, that's an important passage, right? He says, here is the evidence. Those who are children of God will practice righteousness, and those who are children of the devil will practice unrighteousness. Look at your life. It bears out the evidence and testimony of your own very heart. And so while we know that the, the flaming darts, if you will, of the devil cannot penetrate the breastplate of righteousness that has been provided for us in Christ, that breastplate is not just something we simply rest in, it's something we act upon. Not only do we not give the accuser any place to accuse us because of our sin, we also don't want to give the, the accuser any place to accuse us because of what we do every day. Now recognize what happens here. We know as the scripture teaches, no one is perfect. And I don't believe that's what First John is teaching. This side of heaven, we will still be wrestling with that sinful nature. This side of heaven, we'll still be wrestling with those things. But I do believe, as Martin Luther said, as Martin Luther said, you may have a bird fly over your head, but you don't have to let it make a nest in your hair. Amen? And while sin may come, when it does, we deal with it, we confess it, and we turn from it. We don't have to wallow in it. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what John is saying. For the child of God, we confess our sins, and we recognize that he is just to forgive us of our sins. We don't stay in it. We don't rest in it. We don't continue. And if we do, we are giving the devil the foothold to bring us down even. Consider again what Jesus has done for us. One of my 
favorite little passages in Colossians chapter 2. The author here, Paul, says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He begins by saying, And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Here, Paul is saying that the Lord, God Almighty, has put the devil and his Demons to open shame by triumphing over them and he has disarmed them. What does that mean in the fact that he has disarmed them? It means he has taken it where they have no bullets to fire against us. They have no spears to throw at us. They have no arrows to shoot toward us that can do any damage to us. Why? Because Jesus Christ has triumphed over them and he's nailed all of our unrighteousness, all of our sinfulness. He nailed that to the cross and it has been done with and dealt with. So now the devil has no power over us. This is the righteousness of God that covers us. He may shoot them. He may fire them but they simply bounce off his righteousness. No charge can stand. So we as believers rest in the righteousness of Christ. We rest in that righteousness and we act upon it, giving no ground for the devil to make any accusation against us, demonstrating that our heart, our heart is for righteousness. For we've been adopted by our God. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, we recognize here that while Paul may be chained to a couple prisoners in prison, that the idea of us putting on the full armor of God didn't just come to Paul in that moment. For in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, speaking of the coming king, the coming Messiah who would come for his people, it tells us that this one who was coming he put on a, breath, a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. In Isaiah 59, 17, it tells us that the one who's coming will put righteousness on as a breastplate and salvation on his head. And so it is for us this morning to recognize that the devil may throw some accusations against us. He may tell you you're not good enough. He may tell you you are cursed and undone. He may tell you you have gone astray. And all you remind him of is he's forgotten the chorus that we sing every time we get up in the morning. Jesus saves me. So whatever accusation you may bring, whatever charge you may come at me, the righteousness of Christ is greater than all of that. And I rest right there, not in my own, but in his not following after my own unrighteousness, but his righteousness. And so, devil, my heart is new and it is fresh. And every morning it's refreshed by the mercy of our good God. No charge can stand. There's only two types of hearts in this room this morning. Those who have been redeemed by Christ and made new and those who have not. My prayer for you is that you will know the redemption that Christ has provided through you through the precious cross. My, 
my, my hope for you is that you will understand that glorious exchange where he took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. And without that, there is no life. And without that, the accusations of the devil still stand. But with it, with it, there's life. And there's no accusation that can come against us. For we rest in Jesus. Are you resting in Christ today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to sing boldly and clearly, not just the first verse, but the refrain, if you will, Lord, that my Jesus saves, that he has paid it all, that he's done everything needed for me to have life and salvation. God, you are good in providing Christ Jesus, our Savior. And if anyone is here today, Father, whose heart is still darkened by sin, who has not confessed that sin and turned to you, help them, God, today to realize, to realize the necessity, the necessity, Father, of a new heart. And that the only place they can find it is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Help them to trust by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. God, help us not only to trust in Jesus, but help us to walk in him. Help us to practice righteousness just as he has saved us and given us his righteousness. Father, we thank you. As we close out this service this morning, God, and we sing about the great gift that Jesus is for us, how he's done it all. God, I pray that if anybody here this morning knows that they have a heart that is darkened by sin and they need a new heart, that they will flee to you, flee to the cross, and they will find it there. And they'll be covered by that breastplate of righteousness this morning. God, even give them the courage to stand up and to even step out maybe in front of these people to testify to that they need a new heart. God, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity as we stand here today singing of your glorious goodness to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together.